podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined by the man who has been spending the whole week shopping online for blue and white hoodies and pom-poms for the Zags, the Eastern Washington College basketball powerhouse, Gonzaga, that just signed a top five high school recruit from Minnehaha Academy for the second year in a row. The man who thinks NFL Nation is sleeping on our beloved Vikings and who is expecting big things from the purple and gold this fall. And the man who thinks the T-Wolves are onto something on offense and they are definitely not onto something on defense. And that's the man that I call my cousin Isaac. Cuz, how's it going? Oh, been been a little delayed here. How huh? we missed we missed the week before. So well, why is it this time, Isaac? Last time you got into the ring with COVID. This time Ugh. you got into the ring with bachelor party. <laughs> yeah, bachelor party. So surprisingly, we all survived. Um, and that's kind of all I have to say about that. So, <laughs> Well, I'm glad you made it back for another podcast because I, I couldn't do it without you. So what, what's on the agenda tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think the big news is going to be our, our, our player spotlight we got today, the the freakishly tall seven foot one Chet Holmgren. What 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 do you see in this guy? What 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 has he done in for Minnehaha and, and for the state of Minnesota here? He's the number one recruit in the nation. And there was a lot of speculation about where he might go. Michigan, Ohio State, um, Memphis was on that list. Uh Minnesota. Minnesota. Yep. Gonzaga. <laughs> and he ended up choosing Gonzaga. So he followed his college basketball or his high school basketball teammate, Jalen Suggs. By the way. Those two played together pretty much since they were like in the third grade. And Jalen Suggs' father was like Chet Holmgren's coach up until he was in high school. Um, and so Chet follows Jalen to Gonzaga. And you asked me, what do I see in this guy? And he's a little raw. Like if you look at him, just his picture, and you put on a video for the first 30 seconds, you're like, wait, what? This guy's <laughs> this guy's the number one prospect in America? And but then you start watching his games and the guy's seven foot one with range. I mean, maybe he's seven, two, maybe he's seven feet. Like there's speculation, but he does have a seven foot six wingspan and they're comparing him. A lot of the draft pundits for 2022 to Marcus Camby on D and Dirk light on offense with Anthony Davis's length. Now he's got a nice handle. Some good names. <laughs> he's he's got a nice handle, like you know. And most big men, whether they're coming from Europe or even in the states now, can can dribble the ball. He's got range at seven one. His movements are a little slow to me, but he's so long, he always gets to where he wants to go. Now, granted, this is against high school competition, mm-hmm. but I, I do think okay. So two things that I'm going to say, and and then your counterpoints. I think he could be an elite rim stopper in the NBA. I just. He has he has really good instincts on the ball when defenses are penetrating or offenses are penetrating, and his length and his ability to impact shots I think could be his elite NBA skill. He's also got range, so could he be a unicorn? You know, a la Porzingis in Dallas. I'm a little bit more skeptical about his ability to produce in the NBA on the offensive end. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'd even pull that back to to college personally. Um, I mean, this guy is extremely polished on defense. Like, it's amazing because you look at him and he's like a twig. You think if you just like you know breathed on him a little bit, he'd he'd fall right over. But <laughs> that you watch some you watch some video of him, and like this guy doesn't back down from anyone, and he's like quick enough 
to where if he happens to be on a guard, like he can stay with them or he can block them from behind because he's so darn long. Um, so I think defensively, like he's going to have a huge impact in college right away. The NBA level, for me, it's going to be uh, can you put on weight? Because um, I think at this weight, he's not going to be super impactful at the NBA level. But I think for college, that doesn't matter too much because the guys there aren't going to be as big quite yet. Um, but offensively, I mean, he does have range. He's got a smooth stroke. I mean, for a guy for seven foot, like you talk about, you know, the, the Perzingis and, and 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 Dirk and like he's a he's a guy who can shoot the ball and he's going to be hard to block because his his release is is high enough. But um, just the craziest thing to me is is kind of what you all had already stated was, you know, you you look at a picture of him and you're like, you know, this is just a lanky, you know, big guy who's, you know, he's just going to be in the post, right? And you're going to be able to push him around. But you watch video of him and it's like, no, he's actually like kind of a seven one point guard. Like, get out of the way. But I mean, he's not. He's not going to blow by you, but he's got great handles. Yeah, so I think, you know, when you look at him and I see, I saw, I watched an interview with him on, or a couple of them on YouTube. And I wonder, like, is he more prepared for the NBA or is he more prepared for esports? And <laughs> I mean, he's all limb and bones. And um, I do think eight months in a college conditioning program could do something very positive for him. I just, my mind goes to him in terms of an NBA prospect. I know he's going to have a year at Gonzaga. And by the way, like if, if this guy is playing the five for Gonzaga in that national championship game against Baylor, instead of Drew Timmy or whoever they could Mm -hmm. throw out there, like, I think he would have had a big impact on those Baylor guards getting to the rim and, you know, changing their shots or blocking it. And I would yeah. be very surprised if Gonzaga wasn't right up there again, um, especially with his presence. Well, well, when did when did Gonzaga become like Kentucky? Holy crap! They've got like all these top these top prospects coming to Gonzaga now, and it's like, you know, when did this tiny school become the, the team that everyone wanted to go to? Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but some some top prospects want to go to. I'd say in the last five years, like they've been building their program for 15 years, but it certainly happened within the last five years. And Jalen Suggs last year, Isaac was the number one prospect in Gonzaga history. And this year they have two of the top five or six prospects in the country. And, you know, once you get into that blue blood conversation, it's so much easier to stay there, particularly if you have stability on your coaching staff and in your recruiting people. And, you know, now you got a pipeline. It's so think about the, the Jones brothers and Gary Trent Jr. to Duke. Like it, it just takes one guy going there who's a senior and the guys that are juniors and, and sophomores and freshmen see that coach in the stands when they come to recruit, talk to the guy about who's already there as a freshman or sophomore in college. And before you know it, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the blue bloods, but Gonzaga needs to get their ring. They need to win a championship before I will count them in that same conversation, but they've really come into Minnesota and, they kind of they're stealing away the guys that used to go to Duke. And we we, we know they're not gonna go to the U, but I'd rather have them go to Gonzaga than I would to the Blue Devils and Mike Shizeski. Mm, so mm. you know That's I, some Coach K hate right there. <laughs> I don't mind the guy. I don't mind the guy. You know, thinking about just to, to wrap this up, so I, I think about Chet Holmgren and I think about the last five years of Minnesota prospects. And think about the Minnesotans in the NBA. So two thousand 20 to 21, Trey Jones, Apple Valley, now in the Spurs. Tyrell Terry, De La Salle, Dallas Mavericks. Ziggy Naji, Hopkins, Denver Nuggets, all in the last year. 
The year before, Amir Coffey, Hopkins, LA Clippers. 2018-19, Gary Trent, Apple Valley, Toronto. 2016, Tyus Jones, Apple Valley, Memphis. Minnesota, or Minneapolis in particular, but Minnesota at large, we're on the map. Yeah, I mean, you even add, did you did you add a, a, a Turu in there? I might have forgotten he'd, him. He'd be another one. So, I mean, just add it to the list. So, I think the point that, that, that we're making here is that I'm not sure 10 years ago that these top these bona fide you know top programs and in, in, in NCAA basketball were coming to Minneapolis and actively recruiting the way that they are now. I just wish that we could keep one or two of these guys. So we'll see what Ben Johnson and the University of Minnesota can do to to build a program that's, where guys want to That's his stay. job. That's why he got hired. So well yeah we'll see if he can do it because we got some talent here. Gotta get some to stay. So Chet Holmgren um, first player from Minnesota to secure ESPN's number one overall ranking. Do not judge him on his first impression. Give him some time. Watch a game Slim or two. Reaper. Is that what his nickname is? That's what his trainer called him in one of the videos I watched. And, you know, in the videos that I watched, the, the, the interviews that I watched of him, what I really liked, Isaac, was that this mentality that he has, that, like, he thinks, like, he thinks that he's going to go into whatever game that he plays and dominate. He has he's got uh, swag. He's got some swag to him, and, and we'll see how that translates at the college basketball level, and then a year later, probably into the NBA. But man, it's exciting to have such promising young basketball prospects come out of your backyard. Yeah, go Zags. That's who I'll be cheering for. Yeah, get those pom poms. <laughs> With that, we're going to move on to. Um, the Vikings. And, and today is the 22nd of April. The Vikings are going to be drafting next week. And we wanted to do a bit of a, a kind of a recap of some of the offseason acquisitions that the Vikings have had. And then, you know, what what needs do we have, you know, in the draft and, and how do you expect that or how do we expect that we're going to meet them? But I, I, I wanted to start, Isaac, with what we've already done. And let's start on the defensive side of the ball, because we really haven't done much in the offseason on the offensive <laughs> side of the ball. Big surprise, Mike Zimmer. <laughs> so if I asked you that question, what would you highlight about what we've done in, in free agency? Yeah, I mean, we've we've addressed almost every position um, on defense, which our defense last year was not great if uh, any of you watched the games. Um so we're, we're, we definitely addressed every every area. So like our our line got stronger. I mean, we signed uh, Delvin Tomlinson from the Giants, who was kind of a surprising pickup to me. Like I'm surprised the Giants let him go, um, but I'm sure there's a cap issue there. He's a big dude, six three, three eighteen, and he's 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 on the field. Like he started all sixteen games, for, um, all four years for the Giants. So I mean, he's he's consistent. Uh, he has seven sacks and 28 quarterback pressures over the past two years. And then you throw in 15 tackles for losses. I mean, he's, he's out there. He's doing work. Um, so it would be nice to have that that big man up front. Um, and then we also have some some cornerback depth that we got. Um, and I think the, the feeling is kind of mixed on Patrick Peterson. You know, a lot of people are saying he's washed up and he's not as good as he once was. And, you know, I would agree with that. He's not as good as he once was. Like, he's, he's now, like, what, 30? You know, he's not going to be – 25 26 year old Patrick Peterson like but he still has pretty good instincts and you know he was once a lockdown corner and I think at the very least 
like he's going to provide very good leadership and be a good mentor for our young cornerbacks. Um, so I think he's going to be great. He's, you know, to kind of go along with, with the fact that his, his play is declining. If you look at his completion percentage that he's allowed over the last three years, it's trending in the wrong direction. So, I mean, three years ago, it was 58%. Two years ago, it was 65 And last year, it was 67 So I'm hoping that kind of t- turns around. But um, one thing I will say is, you know, Zimmer has quite the impact on old cornerbacks. Everywhere he's been, every stop he's been, He's been able to turn the clock back on some old cornerbacks and, you know, even just Terrence Newman, um, who he brought over here from, from Cincinnati when he came over, like that guy had a resurgence at like the young age of, I don't know, he's like 34, 35, like that dude, that dude is old. He might've been older than that. I don't know. But so it'd be interesting to see if Zimmer has that impact on Peterson and he kind of has this resurgence. Do you think we'll see that? Great lead in. I appreciate that. Patrick Peterson. Um, eight-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro. And all those accolades stopped in 2018. And I was today I was today reading some um, newspapers from Arizona to see how they felt about Arizona letting him go, the only team that he ever played for, and the Vikings picking up. And now we, he has a one-year $10 million contract, which in the scope of, like, good cornerbacks, is it $8 million? It's eight million and two million of like incentive bonuses, which people yeah. claim he's not going to get. <laughs> so his cap hit is like you know pretty marginal. If if he's a guy that maybe Zimmer can bring out the best in the twilight of his career, and yeah. those completion percentages against were a little bit worrisome. Arizona said though, like this guy does not have much left in the tank, and what they cited the the um um the beat writer for the Cardinals, he said they he allowed thirty nine receptions on 58 targets for 527 yards, 217 yards after the catch, four touchdowns, only two interceptions, and an opponent passing rating of 104.6 um, in 2019. It was the first time in which he allowed an opponent passer rating over 100. Um, and he was not named to the Pro Bowl for the first time as well. And then he followed it up last year. He allowed 50 catches and 75 targets for 677 yards, 206 after the catch, five touchdowns, three interceptions, and an opponent opponent passer rating of 100.8. And he also racked up 10 penalties last season, the most by any defensive back. And I'm not saying, you, you are right, Isaac, about Zimmer being able to get the most. I mean, he's the cornerback whisperer, right? Yeah. But I do wonder, especially if um, Jeff Gladney is not able to be on the field this season. You know, you've got Cameron Dantzler on one side, and if we're penciling in Patrick Peterson, the guy in our imagination, versus the guy who's performed on the field the last two years, I do wonder if we might be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I would say say your expectations low, but at the same time, you know, last year, was he guarding the wide receiver one? Was that his task? Because I believe he was which he's, I don't think he's suited for anymore, but if he's the guy that's, like, taken on the wide receiver two, like, is that someone he can hang with? You know, it's, it's possible. So then you're putting Cameron Dantzler on your one? <laughs> I mean, who who did Dantzler cover last year? I mean, he covered a lot of ones. Yeah. It depended on the matchup, and I would say, like, nationally, like, the... um the verdict on the 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 um, Vikings rookie cornerbacks was a bit 
inconclusive. I think locally, we would say that they really struggled early on and improved throughout the year. And I would agree with that. I don't know that he's a Xavier Rhodes type, put me on an island and I can shut you down kind of guy. But it, is Peterson or Dantzler for that fact going to need to be that, considering some of the other um, offseason acquisitions that we made, Isaac? Well, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they they only need to cover for a certain amount of time because hopefully we'll be we'll be pressuring the quarterback quite a bit. Um, How so? How's that going to happen? Well, I mean, I already told you one guy, Tomlinson, but um, I mean, we're basically getting two guys. We're getting three guys that we were supposed to have last year um, back back this year. So those guys are Anthony Barr, which I mean, he played in two games last year, but um, we get him back. We get Daniel Hunter back and we get michael pierce back so so i mean hunter pierce and tomlinson we're basically getting a whole new defensive line um and i know like the the whole vikings thing on on defense is like next man up mentality so if someone goes out like the young guy should step up or whoever's buying him is going to step up guess what that didn't happen last year so it'll be good to get these 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 big money guys these guys meant to be out on the the field um clogging the lanes and rushing the quarterback. And and I think that's going to help big time with not only our young cornerbacks, but I mean, even with Patrick Peterson, like he doesn't have to be on an Island as much because he's not going to have to cover as long as maybe he did in Arizona. The, the, the rushing game, pass rushing game is going to be a little bit more, especially if we got Hunter healthy. I mean, Hunter's probably top five defensive end in the league when he's yeah. healthy. No, well, he had 29 sacks the last two years he's been on the field. Yeah. I, 14 and a half each year. That's, that's no small thing. I, 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 I agree with you more here with Tomlinson at, at, at D tackle. And then Michael Pierce also in the middle, you know, he started 14 games for Baltimore in 2017 and 19. And he was signed actually last year in March of 2020 mm-hmm. to help replace the exit of Linval Joseph. But he opted out of his um, 2020 campaign due to asthma concerns and, you know, you know, COVID, but I, I think you're right. I think, the the Tomlinson and Pierce combo on the interior, and then you got Hunter, you know, back, you know, as your edge rusher. I, you know, we'll talk about this when we get to the draft, but I, I think that we're going to get some pressure, particularly if we can pick somebody else up on the outside. But what about at, at linebacker and safety? So, you know, you mentioned Anthony Barr, um, and we lost Anthony Harris at safety, who had been um, pretty much a stopgap now for five years, and we picked up Xavier Woods a safety for the Cowboys who's going into his fifth year. So what do you like about him? I like that he's he's a hard-nosed safety. He's a, he's a good tackler. Last two years, he's had 70-plus tackles um, with like a less than 10% missed tackle percentage, which that might not sound super fantastic, but at a lot of the guys I was looking at for the, this, this missed tackle percentage, his was like one of the best. Um, out of the guys I looked at on the Vikings squad. So he's a sure tackler. You know, I'm I'm not too certain how he is as a as a coverage guy. I know that Dallas had a lot of issues in the coverage, so I'll be in- interested to see how he does on that aspect. But, I mean, anytime you can line up next to, you know, Harrison Smith, like your game's going to be going to be up to bit. Plus, I feel like last year watching Vikings games, I don't feel like Anthony Harris – is going to feel much like a loss this year. And you're, you know, you think about all three, you know, elements of the, the defense, right. From the line, we have an elite player at each level, Daniil Hunter on the defensive line, um, Eric Kendricks, who is an elite linebacker, if not the top linebacker in the NFL. 
And then I think, you know, Harry the Hitman, although he's in his early 30s, he still brings it. And until he doesn't, I'm not going to take him off that list of among the top safeties. And so yeah. the big questions are going to be about cornerback and whether or not we get Gladney on the field, who Patrick Peterson is. Um, I'm not super concerned about our linebackers, uh, especially because we brought Anthony Barr back. And you know, it'll be interesting to see how he returns from that injury after he missed 14 games last year. And um, But it's clear that the priority in the offseason was on defense. And we spent a lot of our cap money and we cut some guys on offense in order to make room for defense. What are your thoughts on that? And, and in terms of this regime, thinking about Zimmer and Spielman, and like they're not on a long leash. I'm not saying they're on the hot seat, but we've got to make something happen this year. And so is this defense, you know, which has been the cornerstone of Zimmer's coaching career in Minnesota, good enough to put us into a position where if our offense does well enough, we can make the playoffs? I think if healthy, you know, if, if our big guys are healthy, I think, yeah, I think, I think the NFL is kind of sleeping on our defense. Um, I mean, we've, we've got, we've got the big guys up front and I even just want to mention like Tomlinson and, and, and uh, Pierce, they kind of remind me of, of the Williams wall a little bit. I mean, no one's going to quite match up with Pat Williams, but uh, you know, Pierce, Pierce being the big guy he is, and he's kind of a run stopper, less of a pass rusher. Like that's, Pat Williams and then Kevin Williams is kind of the the do it all captain slash you know he'll get in the quarterback's face like that's Delvin Tomlinson maybe not quite to the same effect but that's what I'm reminded of when I see those two up front um, and then yeah our linebackers are solid Barr is a huge part of this defense for Zimmer you know I I think like he's one of the most important pieces like is Kendricks the better linebacker I think so but I think Barr is like one of the most important pieces when it comes to Zimmer's like a gap defense. And I think we could kind of see it last year. You know, he was he missed 14 games, and our defense was crap. You know, so so you're 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 feeling pretty confident about this Vikings defense being in the top 10. I am, yeah. If if there's no injuries, like no big injuries to the to main guys, I think we'll we'll be back to a top 10 defense. I mean, it, it's Zimmer. Zimmer is based around defense, and he even said last year, like he he's like flat out said that's the worst defense he's ever coached. Yeah. And you know, it was a transition year and it was a COVID year and there was guys that opted out and you know, it was just kind of, we had rookie corners and it was one thing after another, but I think you're right. This is going to be a bounce back year. It granted we have to remain healthy. Um, Well, I, I I hate to go too far into this because we'll, we'll save this more for our preview. But if you know anything about Zimmer is he's, he's in every other guy, every other year is going to be great. And the year in between is going to be not so great. Well, guess what? The not so great year was last year. So get ready for a great year, Minnesota. No, you're right about that, though. Like, but even in the not so great years, other than the one year that we started out like five and zero and finished seven and nine, we had an awful second half. Like, he's never finished worse than seven and nine as a coach. And you know that's not an easy thing to do in the NFL. But the bar for what a coach needs to do, you know, you've got a two year leash your front office and your coach. And if you don't make the playoffs and you're spending money and the expectations are high and you don't meet it. So um, I agree with you. We'll save that for the Viking season preview. I did want to mention two other off season moves. Can we please put our hands together and say a hallelujah that Dan Bailey is no longer our kicker. <laughs> 
Yeah, amen to that. Although it's kind of amazing because, I mean, with with Dallas, he was like one of the best kickers of all time. So, but <laughs> you know, he was washed. And yeah, this was. is this yeah. wasn't a COVID issue. The guy missed seven field goals last year and six extra points. And I came away from so many Sundays, like just questioning, like why do I, why is my well being so dependent on a, a kicker in the NFL? That does not need to happen. And I really hope the guy that we did sign, Greg Joseph, he played for Cleveland and Tennessee the last two years. He's made ninety percent of his extra points, um, and he's seventeen for twenty career from field goal range. And I think he's about ten percentage points above. Um, Bailey in terms of uh, touchbacks. So, you know, he's a little untested. He's young. He's only two years into the league. And, you know, 20 career field goal attempts is not that many. But we needed to find somebody. I hope he's the right guy because I am really, like, I I don't know if I can stomach another year of scoring a touchdown and wondering if we're going to miss the extra point badly. Well, if it's worth anything in Tennessee's 2019 playoff, he had to kind of play for them, you know, he had to jump in and he was nine for nine on extra points in the playoffs. So I think he can handle the pressure on, on getting those extra points in. Well, we'll see once he puts on the purple and gold uniform <laughs> in a big game, what that he's, looks like. He's saying it's kid. cursed. Wide left. Um, I, I, and, and before we move on to the draft and, and what our needs are in the draft, I think, I think we have to mention Kyle Rudolph. Mm. We, we let him go. Um, he restructured his contract last year to stick around. We have Irv Smith Jr., you know, waiting in the wings. He spent 10 years as tight end of the Vikings, and he was annually one of the best, I would say, five to seven tight ends in the league in his prime from 2012 to 19. And he was a hell of a safety valve, great hands in the red zone. And, you know, you could argue, was he the best tight end in Vikings history? I think he has a case. You know, Steve Jordan, the Vikings tight end in the in the, in the, in the 80s, was is probably the only one right up there with him who had, he had 498 catches, 6,300 yards and 28 touchdowns. But what I love about Rudolph is that he had fewer yards. He had 453 catches, 4,500 yards for his career and 48 touchdowns. So he almost doubled Steve Jordan. And you know, how many times was he in the back of the end zone when the play was not designed for him and the quarterback just, you know, got it in his area and he found a way to stick his hands on the ball and to stick his feet in bounds and to score. And I'm going to yeah. miss that guy. I, I know he fall, he's fallen off a little bit the last year or two, but Kyle Rudolph, man, he's he, he's one of my favorite Vikings over the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah, definitely a big dude. I mean, I think something that we might miss with him is just like, he's a great blocking tight end too. As good of a receiving tight end as he is, he's good at blocking. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Irv can kind of block as well as he did. As, as sad as it is, yeah, ending his 10-year run, I think it was okay. We can save a little money there. Put it elsewhere. Hopefully in the uh, O-line, you know, that'd be nice. Protect Herc a little bit. I think that, the, you know, the conversation about the offensive line needs to happen within the conversation about the draft. So hmm. we did pick up Mason Cole, but our offensive line was ranked 26 in the league last year. And with, with this zone, you know, blocking scheme we have in our running game, we tend to focus on a lot of guys that are a little lighter that can get out there and get into their spots and their, into their zones and make room for Delvin to, to get to his hole and make his cut. But how does that play out in terms of um, the quarterback being able to have time to find our, some of our top players on the team and, our offensive line is our biggest need in the draft. Yep. 
And so we have the 14th pick in the first round. We don't have a pick in the second round. And then we have a pick in the third round. Um, or do we have two in the third? I'm not sure on that. I think we have I think two. We, I think we have two, yeah. So we have the number 14 pick. And, you know, I would argue that the offensive line is the biggest need. What do you have to say about that? I would agree. I'd, I'd be pretty actually disappointed if they don't if they don't pick offensive line just because that's – I mean, we've needed it for so many years, and there's guys in this draft that are supposed to be available at our pick that could start from day one. Now, as as sexy and attractive as, as picking a quarterback at that spot, if there's one available there, sounds like – that'd be more of a future play. Whereas I think, I don't know. I, I don't foresee, I don't foresee us picking a quarterback with our first round selection. Like if anything, I see us picking defense over offensive line, just because it's Zimmer and he always gets his defense in the first round, but, but he got his way in the off season. I mean, we, yeah. other, other than one offensive line signing, we've, we've signed nobody on the outside, nobody in the backfield. And this offensive line, not only did we not sign anybody, but we, got rid of we cut Riley Reeve at left tackle. Yeah. Smart, efficient. He took a pay Probably cut. Probably our best offensive lineman. Yeah, and at eleven point seven five million, I mean it it for the the position that he played and for the way that he played it, like I don't think that was but he was good. He was the only guy that I would say was like significantly above average on our offensive line last year. Um and we got a lot of young guys and I just wonder, you know, before we get into that the, the our number fourteen pick so the 26 rated offensive line last year. And you think about the Vikings under Zimmer, where does the money go? It always goes to defense first. And after it goes to defense, like we will spend high draft picks on position players or make big trades or big signings. I mean, we signed Kirk Cousins. We spent, a, was it a third round pick on Delvin Cook? Um, Thielen went a little lower in the draft. Jefferson was pretty high. Like clearly this team will spend money on the position players on offense, but it's always been a kind of patch it together sort of thing on the offensive line. And other than Tony Sperano, the one year is here, RIP. Um, we haven't had a good offensive line, I think coaching infrastructure that has allowed for the development of these players. And so it just seems like year to year. And we, by the way, we have a quarterback that doesn't do well in the pocket and doesn't do well if he doesn't have much time and who needs protection <laughs> And it, it just seems like this is our Achilles heel. And so um, what do you think the priority has to be? For that 14th pick? Yeah. So I'll, I'll frame it for you this way. At that 14th pick. So there's going to be a lot of attention to pay to the three big wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen um, Waddle. Right? You got five quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. You got three offensive tackles that are rated in the top 16. So right there, like you got 11 or 12 players that are on the offensive side of the ball. Um, we have the 14th pick. I think one of those receivers or one of those quarterbacks, probably Fields or Lance, are probably going to drop to the 14th pick. At that point, if you're a team that really needs a receiver or that is fascinated by one of those two quarterbacks, if they've dropped, you know, they could potentially trade up, you know, offer us their pick in the first round, maybe we get a second round pick back or do we just go for the best offensive tackle that's left at number 14? Those are the things that I've seen spelled out in terms of a Viking strategy in the first round. 
Yeah, I mean, I th- I think we got to come out of this with a with the offensive lineman, a, a top one, at at all possible. So I think it kind of depends what's left on the board. Um, if there's only one guy left at our at our spot, like I think you got to take him and kind of forego the extra draft picks. But I say that, and it's kind of hard to to believe that's what they're going to do though, because I feel like Spielman's exceptional at picking up more draft picks. He's very good at that, you know, trading back, trading back, and then you know possibly trading up in later rounds. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we trade out of it, but I just think with, you know, what, what's, what's Zimmer and Spielman playing for? Like, like at this point, it's like, we're, we've kind of been an all in team the last like couple of years now. And it's pretty obvious what we've been lacking. I mean, I know our defense was bad last year, but our offensive line has never really been good other than the Sperano years you're talking about. So I just think we should just address the need like, and there's, there's, it's not like we're, we're, um, we're reaching cause there are guys there. So I think it, I think it's cut and dry for me, like address the kind of one of the only weaknesses we have on the team at offensive line. So there are three offensive t- tackles in the top 16 projected in the draft. We're at 14. If one of them is left, you say, take them. Don't trade back. I do. Don't trade yep. back for a pick in the second round. No. But I, you got to protect, like, we've got Delvin Cook. So you've got to get guys, okay, if you have an offensive, um, you know, zone blocking running scheme, great. You, you need guys that are nimble. But you got to get guys in the, in, on the interior in particular, because I think our, our end linemen, you know, depending on how it shakes out, you know, between Brian O'Neill and Ezra Cleveland. And, you know, Cleveland was a tackle in, in, in college. He played right guard last year. You know, he could potentially play, you know, left tackle this year, but a lot of it's going to depend on who we draft. And and um, I think Brian O'Neill at right tackle is above average, but our interior line, Mason Cole, Garrett Bradbury, and Drew Sami, there's a lot of questions there. And so yeah. if we draft a guy in the first round, if we come out of this with a really good, you know, lineman on the offensive side, what else do you think we need? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to shift right to defense, honestly. It's going to be either an edge rusher or we're going to get some more depth at the you know defensive back position. So I, I think it really goes to an edge rusher, um, which at at that deep, I'm not exactly sure that is. But like, I'm I'm really really hoping we push that off to the later rounds so that we can address that O line. But I think I think it's it's edge rusher and and probably defensive backs, especially with with the news of of Gladney, you know, possibly being out this year with his his off the field troubles. So I want to talk more about his off the field troubles when we do our season preview, because I think that the approach to, you know, the way the NFL approaches um, these domestic abuse issues um, and it's so inconsistent and and year to year and what teams and how they respond, you know, if, if this team falls apart, so if we start out say one and four or two and five, it unless there's major injuries that we can't predict in the off season, it's going to be because of an um, an implosion on the offensive line. And even if you draft rookie, like you draft rook guys that that are rookies, even if they're in the first round or the third round, there's no guarantee that they're going to perform at the NFL level. So sure. when we let go of our top offensive linemen in the off season, and we are going to play this let's patch it together game, um, you know, and we don't have a quarterback that can move like a, a Mahomes. I I think that if this season goes sideways, it, we're going to come back to this conversation about the O line because in the NFL, the the number one thing that you need is a 
good quarterback and preferably a good quarterback that can also move, but you need a good quarterback. But the offensive and defensive lines, getting an edge rush in particular to put pressure on quarterbacks that can chase them when they're out of the pocket, and then an offensive line that can protect them. So I think we're okay on the defensive side of the ball. But if they draft an edge rusher in the first round, Isaac, I'm going to I'm 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 gonna need 12 steps of offensive line morning because you gotta build your team <laughs> around your quarterback and then around your two lines. And we've neglected one of them on one side of the ball for all too long now. And I think that's why. Like we're always a pretty good team, but we've not been able to make that jump to a great team. So we'll see. We'll see what Spielman and, and Zimmer have in store for us in the draft next week. And with that, Isaac, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Timberwolves post all-star break. And we're back, and we're going to talk about the Timberwolves tonight to close out the pod. And I don't think you can talk about the Timberwolves at this point in the year as well as we've played offensively since the All-Star break and with the return of D'Angelo Russell without talking about this defense. Yeah, just, just the will and want to on defense. I mean, it just seems like we're never in the right spot, and then it seems like we don't we don't hustle for the ball ever. Like, there's multiple hustle plays that we can make every game, and it's just like, the guys don't want it enough. And I don't know if at this point, if it's, if it's coaching anymore, but it's just the players. And I know we've kind of mentioned that before, but like these players got to kind of want it a bit more than what they've shown. And I mean, under, under Finch now we've, we've dropped all the way to last in defensive rating. And that's extremely concerning. I mean, I I know we're not really playing for much because we're not going to make the playoffs, but it'd be nice to build some kind of, culture and consistency with how we're playing but i don't know I, I don't know watching this defense what we're trying to build we just we just hand points over to the other team like it's it's painful okay i'm going to push back a little bit on that number one this is not a finch issue russell came back you know not too long after finch took the reins of the team the issue on offense is that russell and towns are really good offensive players and they are both sieves on defense. They just, they leak points. Um, and I would also say that we do have an identity on defense. It's our second unit. And I was, um, I had the game against Sacramento on last night, the game that we lost 128 to 125, I believe. But I was doing some research for the pod. And so I had the game on in the background and I had it muted. And I, I, I turned it on basically at the end of the third quarter, like about three minutes to go. Um, and I watched, you know, pretty much that until the middle of the fourth quarter on mute. And I was just watching the game and we went on this big run. Like we had, we were down by double digits at halftime. Right. And then we were, mm -hmm. we ended up being up in the, in the early in the fourth quarter. And it was because like, at one point we were, we outscored, um, Sacramento 52 to 24 in our second unit. But the thing that caught my eye is that there was an identity. There was an identity on defense. The second team, Vanderbilt, Nas Reed, McLaughlin, Ernan Gomez, and Rubio for most of the time, Russell came in. And their rotations were on point. Their effort was great. They closed out on three-pointers. They were playing good pick-and-roll defense. And in particular, the Nas Reed, Vanderbilt, like, not in our house. You come down the lane, like, we're going to stop you. 
And it was just like the movement and the energy. And I'm not saying this happens every time the second unit is on the floor, but I felt there was an identity for the, like for the wolves on defense. And then they sub in towns and Russell and Anthony Edwards, and even Jaden McDaniels didn't look great, even though he's been really good defensively this year. And it was like the polar opposite, you know, the, and, and granted the offensive players, on the first team for Sacramento in particular, you know, um, Deer and Fox and, and, and Buddy Heald can get shots against any defense. But I, I, I see on offense that Finch has put in a system that is working for our best offensive players. And I see Finch on defense with guys that are buying in a system that is also working, you know, and I think our D are actually our, our offense and our second unit's pretty good. So then our big thing is how can you get our first team offense to play or our first team defense to play like our second team defense? I, I did not see this in the second team under Saunders. Like these guys were out there and they were making it happen. And Sacramento's bench is not great. So that's part of it. But Rancesh, <laughs> you got it in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's going to be a big issue if, if, if we're trying to build this team around D'Lo and Cat, like, great offensively i mean you look at delo since since he's returned and you know he's putting up 19 and 5 you know that's, that's pretty that's pretty respectable but in his time back he's been minus 5.9 in net rating and i know net ratings you know only so good but still it's still somewhat telling um and then like you extend that to the minutes that delo and cat have played together that net rating with those two on the court is minus 12.5 so it, it it gets bad, like and and as good as these guys are on offense, like like you said before, like they just bleed points on defense. So it's I just wonder how how this is going to be like something that you know we attempt to sustain or attempt to make successful. Like I, I I'm not seeing it right now. I don't know. Like, well, you we were all waiting for the Russell return, and we hoped you know Beasley would be a part of that too. But Beasley, although he's not as bad defensively defensively as Russell and Towns. He's not what I would call a stalwart defender, and he's more of an offensive player. So I think if you plug him in, you're going to get even more good offense and even probably more bad defense. And defense, look at the New York Knicks. They've been top five defense all year. They're on an eight-game winning streak. Defense is all about identity and effort and guys you know, believing in one another and, and saying that together we're going to get stops. So in the offseason – you know, we're going to have some questions. We still won't have seen all of our best players on the court at the same time. But I do think there is a little more pessimism with Russell back and what that looks like, as good as it is offensively. I don't know what it is about this franchise, but, you know, maybe maybe Chris and Chris Finch is an offensive mind. So it goes back to the point I made before. You know, you got to bring in somebody if, if you're an offensive mm -hmm. um, and the offense has looked pretty good. Yeah. And I think that's why we're nine and fifteen, by the way, which isn't great, but that's a three sixty-seven winning percentage, which is almost one hundred and fifty points above where we were under Saunders. You know, it, yeah. What 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 is that? Do you think you know as we close out the pod, you know, and and we move towards these final ten games in the off season, um, is there anything we can do on the defensive end that that might make a difference in terms of where we might go next year? Because I don't think Beasley is going to be the answer. I think he's going to make us even better offensively. Maybe that's just the team we are. I don't. I don't see how that that can win a, a ton of games. But maybe we're just a team that tries to outscore the other team. Um, 
Because I just there needs there needs to be some changes on this roster in order for the defense to give a crap. Either that, or we just need some kind of coach in there to to rile up the guys. I don't know. It's just it. Other than the little bit you've seen, it just seems like very uninspired basketball on the defensive end. And I feel like a lot of that starts with Cat, and he says it himself. But like we've kind of seen with Cat for his his career so far, it's like a lot of times he says the right stuff, but when can we see it translate on the court? Like, come on, guy. Like, you, you are the leader on this team. Like, let's let's see you give a shit on defense, and then maybe, you know, it'll translate to the rest of the team. So, I, I don't know. More consistency the rest of the year? Like, keep this offense up. Let's find ways to compete on defense. Like, let's build a culture that's competing every play instead of, you know, taking quarters off or – you know, taking a game off because we won the game before. So, let, I mean, let's let's string success together. Like, this team's too used to losing that it's just... Well, we have, since the All-Star break, we beat the Pelicans. We beat the Pelicans, the Rockets, the Knicks, the Kings twice. We also lost to them, the Bulls. And we beat the Suns, the Heat, and the Blazers. So we have nine wins. And, you know, to me, in a 25, 24-game stretch, you know, that is something to build off of. And maybe next year as we see, you know, our best offensive players hopefully stay healthy and play together for extended stretches, then what does that team look like in terms of the just scoring 140 and giving up 135? <laughs> I still don't think that the ceiling for that is probably above a seven or eight seed in the West. Hey, that'd be, that'd be pretty good, though. I'll take that, I think. <laughs> I think we would, but I think towards, you know, as we move into the middle part of Town's contract, Unfortunately, it might be leading towards towards a fan sentiment of of another rebuild. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So let's see what Finch can do. Let's see what he can do these last ten games. And as we get into the off season with Rosas and his um, deal making, you know, maybe he can put some pieces together that 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 make more sense and that can help us get us some stops. So with that, Isaac, we're going to bid our audience good night, and I'm going to have you uh, take us out. Yeah, thanks for thanks for listening to the pod, everybody. Have a, have a good night and stay safe out there.